repeated of all of Jesus' stories. A parable is simply a story. But this morning, instead of just sharing it all in its entirety again, I'd like to show you a modern day twist on the parable of the prodigal son. Now I want to say just a word here, and I'm kind of scanning our audience. I think we're going to be okay. Um, But I wanted to give just a warning if anybody still has children here. Uh, The video that I'm going to show has a suggestive theme. It's absolutely appropriate. It's absolutely uh, in good taste and done in good, uh, proper, worshipful manner. And it's definitely not something that wouldn't be as common as the TV shows that we have these days. But I still want to give any parent, particularly of a child, if they want to slip out for just a couple minutes, I completely understand. Because the theme or the reference is that to human trafficking uh, and to the the sex sex trade industry. And so I want you to watch this modern-day twist on the parable of the prodigal son. But just be aware it's not a son. It's a prodigal daughter.
there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son was, of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I want to share just four observations about a son today. And I apologize for my emotion. I've watched that video now several times, but it rips my heart out. Not because I have a wayward son, my boys are still at home, but because I have sat with family after family after family, wondering when their son or daughter would come back. And I've seen the pain in their eyes and the brokenness in their heart and the question of when will it happen? How will it happen? Could it ever happen? And so I feel this emotional burden that maybe some of you have felt and that you have experienced times, whether in your own life, where you were the prodigal, or you have experienced times in your life when you were the parent, wondering if they'd ever come back. Well, let me just make some observations today, and I recognize the mood is heavy and the, the solemnness of this moment, and so I'll make them brief. Observation number one from this wonderful, wonderful story of Jesus is that this son, this younger son, longed for a different way of life. In the opening, we read about a son who asked his father to give him his inheritance early, to divide the property among them. And he leaves and goes into a far-off country, and there he squanders everything with reckless 
rebellious, wild living. The life that he had seen his entire life, the life of tending a flock and tending his family farm and tending to his family's care, he wanted something different. It wasn't that his father or mother or older brother were bad people or mean or that they had a falling out. He just wanted a different way of life. He wanted to be his own boss. He wanted to make his own rules. He wanted to find his own way. And he believed that far off country would provide the excitement and the exhilaration that he wanted. Now, there's a two sides to this. On first face value, there's nothing wrong with young adults who want to launch well, who want to go their own way. Actually, we know that there's kind of a tide happening now where they don't launch very well. (laughs) They don't go away. They fail to eject from the house and they just kind of hover in place in a basement, in a back bedroom near the cooking and the laundry services and the free rent and the free groceries. I actually tell my college students, the 18 to 22 year olds, listen, I know you're all going to graduate. I hope you never have to do this, but if you have to go back home, make it for no more than six months. Don't make it into six years because you need to launch. Your family needs you to launch. You need to grow up and you need to go out. That's what we do, right? That's what we hope they do, right? But if you have... The other side of this coin is not that he's just needing to grow up and to find his own way. The implication is that he's not just a young adult seeking to become on his own feet. He's wanting to go do something that his family would never allow He's wanting to go someplace that his family would never approve of him going. He wants to make some choices that he knows that would be completely disobedient to his father, to his mother, to his family name. He wants to get out, yes, but he also wants to get into some things. He wants to go astray. And the Scripture teaches that all of us, whether we know it or not, whether we can recognize it or not, we all at times in our life want to go astray. We want to find our own fields. We want to find our own path. We want to do our own thing. We want to make our own rules. The Scripture says in Psalm 119, verse 176, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. The psalmist knows that this is in the heart of every one of us to just go somewhere to do things that we wouldn't normally ever think about doing. Isaiah 53, verse 6, this wonderful passage that speaks about Jesus, the suffering servant, in the midst of it says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's more than just getting out of the house. It's more than just growing up. It's wanting to do things that you know, that you have no doubt about, that are away from God. It's something in the pulse and in the heartbeat of man to want to stretch our own legs. No matter how young we are, how old, no matter how new to the faith or long in the faith, 
most of us, if not all of us, can look back and remember a season, maybe a year, maybe a relationship, maybe a choice that was one time or a choice that was over and over. We can remember a time when we went wayward, we went astray. Some may even be in that season right now. I know I can pinpoint a time in my life that I wish I could have back. When the ways of God, the commands of God, the good, right path of God, I knew it. But I wanted nothing to do with it. I wanted to go my way. I want to do my thing. I want to make my choice. And as loud as my conscience would yell, Shane, Shane, you're making a mess. I would ignore that voice time and time again because of desire, because of longing. This young man wanted and longed for a different way of life. And it led him to a place that he would have never anticipated. He got to the far off country. He got to the place he had planned to go. But when he gets there and all the fun happens, he's living it up. And then the money's gone and the famine comes and he's hungry and he's in need. And he finds himself in an absolute pig trough. Now to the Jewish listener in the audience that day, in Jesus's mind, the pig trough is the lowest of low. They despise pigs. They despise touching pigs, being around pigs. Pigs are unclean. Pigs are filthy animals. And to them, to be in the presence of a pig would mean that you are filthy. You are dirty. You are disgusting. You are below the lowest of low. You're in your pig trough. And the boy comes to his senses. We'll talk about that next week. But he has a speech prepared. And I want you to pay notice to the speech, verse 18 and 19. When we go our own way, when we do our own thing, eventually we will come awake to the reality that we have sinned against heaven and we have sinned against others. Look at verse 18. He says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to my dad, Dad, I have sinned against heaven and before you. This wayward son, observation number two, has sinned against heaven. Now, one of the most famous, if not the most famous, of all reckless living was of King David in the Old Testament. We know King David for two things. We know about a boy and a slingshot and a giant. And we know about a king and a woman and a murderer. David, if you're not familiar, he is king and instead of going out to war like he was supposed to to defend his country and defend his land, he stays back at the palace and on one evening he sees a lady taking a bath in the rooftop next to him and he wants her. And so he seizes her and they are together and she becomes pregnant. Scandal. And so the king, knowing that this could be the undoing of his kingdom, he tries to cover it up. And so he brings her husband back from the front lines. He's a soldier. His name's Uriah. Brings him back and tries over and over and over to get Uriah to be with his wife so that maybe, just maybe, the timing won't show up and the timing won't be obvious and they'll just think Uriah and Bathsheba are with child. 
But Uriah is an upright man compared to this filthy, rotten king. And because he knows his men are still out in the field, out of battle, he will not be with his wife. So David tries to get him drunk. I mean, this sounds like a real TV show. Illegitimate, unwanted pregnancy, husbands with other people's wives, getting drunk, try to cover it all up. But Uriah is upright. He won't. He won't do what the king wants him to do. And so the king knows he has to do away with Uriah. By his own hand, he writes a note that Uriah himself carries to the general, instructing him to be put in the hottest part of battle. And there he dies. So now Bathsheba, this woman now with child, is a widow. And the king takes her, marries her, and claims the child as his own. It was his baby the whole time. But I want you to take notice of something that happens. The prophet Nathan, who's this man of God, who's given the charge of confronting the king with this sin, I'm telling you, this is not a good job to have. You're going to tell the king what they've done wrong. You're going to confront them face to face. You know that the king can order your death in a moment's notice, but Nathan's bold and he's, he's confident in the Lord. And he goes and he confronts King David. And the psalm that David writes, the song, the poetry that David writes, is found in Psalm 51 on the heels of this confrontation. Let me ask you what this sounds like to you. Psalm 51, verse 1 through 4, David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. You might notice just like I do that David is completely confessing everything before God. He's saying, God, put your mercy upon me. Show me your grace. Wash me of my sin. Cleanse me from this mistakes that I've made. I know what I've done. I see it ever before me. But then verse 4 is so unique. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. Wait a sec. Wait a sec. What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? What about the child? What about the families? What about the, the people? Has David only sinned against God? And here's the key phrase, brothers and sisters. Here's the key implication. Anytime we sin, anytime we sin, we sin against God in heaven. Whether you recognize it, I recognize it, whether we're alerted to it or not, any sin whatsoever that you and I commit is an affront to God Almighty. He is holy. He is righteous. He is altogether good. He is altogether Right. But our sin also impacts others. This wayward son says to his dad, Dad, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. Let me show you something, friends. 
If you imagine a, a perfectly still, calm lake, maybe just, just almost like glass, and a huge boulder gets dropped in the center of it, there's going to be a splash to bring water high into the air, but then the ripples edge out from the rock. When we sin before God, it's that rock splashing before a holy God. But there's also ripples. And it touches others. And it impacts others. And we sin against others. Our sin is never singular. Our sin always is multiplied. If someone lies to you, oh man, just lied straight up to your face. They have sinned against God in their deception, but they've also sinned against you. If someone steals from your business, from your company, yes, they have stolen and have sinned against God, but they also have sinned against every employee of that business. They have sinned against every family that pays the paychecks of that business. They have sinned against the customers whose prices are now increased because of their shoplifting, because of their theft. King David sinned against God in his adultery, and he also sinned against every single person that that adultery and that murder and that deception touched. This young man sinned against his God in heaven. But he also sinned against his father, his mother, his brother, his family, his relatives. Sin is never singular. It's always multiplied. And the question is, well, what do we do? If we ever have become wayward, if we've ever gone astray, if we've ever made a decision that we regretted, if we ever have made a choice that impacted not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with others, what do we do? Let me give you the last observation. Because I want to give you some hope. This wayward son went from being a son to a slave to a son again. That young lady on the video went from being a daughter to a sex slave to a daughter again. And all of us, when we go astray, go from being one of God's kids to a slave to sin, but we can always return to God as a son or daughter again. He has this speech. I can only imagine how many times he practiced it on his way home. And again, this is a parable. This is a story, so let me embellish it a bit. I can imagine every mile that ticked off on his walk back, he repeated the phrase, Father, I have sinned against you and have sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He'd get a little closer to home. Maybe he's a halfway. Oh, I've got to just keep my speech worked up. Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Maybe when he saw the house in the long distance, he goes over it again. Father, I have sinned against you and I have sinned against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. 
And then finally, when his dad runs to reach him, throws his arms around him, kisses him, he wants to get this speech out. It's what he has been practicing the entire way. And the father doesn't hear a word of it. But he says it. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called one of your sons. Treat me like a hired servant. And the father absolutely ignores every word his boy says. His father says, get a robe, get a robe, get some rings, get some shoes, get that calf on the barbie. Get the party tent put together. Get the fine linens. Get the fine dishes. Tell everybody I know, my son is home. My boy is back. My child has returned. He was dead and he is alive. He is lost, but he has been found. The father didn't hear a word of the speech. And when we come to God, when we come to God in true repentance and in true humility and true confession and we say our speech, God, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against other people. I've made a mistake. I've gone astray. Our God in heaven, our Lord in heaven doesn't hear a word we say. Doesn't hear a word we say. Because in the heart of God, He has already done the forgiving And it's party time. It's party time. Paul writes it this way in Galatians chapter 4, verse 3 through 7. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent His Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. Is that not worthy of just a hallelujah moment? That God, in His mercy and His grace, knew that all of us would go astray, that we would all make mistakes, that we would all find a path that was not His path, and that in His goodness and in His kindness, He would cause the Spirit in us to waken us to our mistakes and our sin and our brokenness, and we would come back to Him, and He would receive us, not as a slave, but as a son and daughter of the King. Friends, if any of you have walked away for any period of time and you're back today, God sees you as a son, as a daughter of the King. You're not a slave. You're a child of the Almighty. And if any of you have a son or a daughter who's walked that path, Will you exemplify the character of your heavenly Father with love and grace, forgiveness, and open arms? And if you're 
currently astray like a sheep. Maybe today you want to come back home. The invitation is always open. The invitation is always ready. And God stands always with a heart of compassion, ready to receive any who find their way back to Him. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask in this moment, in this time, if there be any who need just to walk that long journey back to You, I pray that today would be the beginning of their walk. Knowing that the minute they make that choice to come back to God, You have already received them with arms wide open. Father, if there are any families right now with broken, wayward relationships, we know they're everywhere. I pray today, God, there might be a phone call made, a message sent, a letter written, an invitation to dinner, an invitation to coffee, an invitation to just reunite together. Lord, I pray that none of us ever have to have the experience of a wayward child. But if we do, Lord, I know that in this moment, you can call upon their heart wherever they are and stir in them wherever they are through the power of your Spirit to draw them back. And so, Lord, if there be any in this room who has a child who is just far from you, adult or younger, I pray right now that they would be woken in their in their spirit and say, something's not right. I gotta call mom, I gotta call dad, I gotta gotta get home. So that families can be reunited and relationships can be restored. God, I know that there are some broken families just laboring over these kinds of issues. And I pray that you would soothe their hearts, but also put their faith in action to make another offer of invitation. To say all is forgotten. All is forgiven. Come home. Lord, whatever you're doing, whatever your spirit is saying, I pray that we would respond now appropriately to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.